This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for this Friday, November 25th. The weather forecast for today, cloudy skies, a slight chance of showers, a little breezy, the high 8 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, Toronto mourns the passing of Maple Leaf's great Borea Salming. Number two, Freedom Convoy 2.0 is plotted for Ottawa in February. Number three, Christia Freeland says she was warned Canada might become a banana republic. Number four, Justin Trudeau takes the stand today in Ottawa. Number five, November is now the busiest shopping month of the year. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Hey, how did that happen? We got to Friday. And I do believe, Nick Marano, that it is a sweet, sweet Friday. It's a sweet, Thank sweet Friday! You. So let's put the white smoke up the chimney so everybody in the square outside of our studios can rejoice at the proclamation of a sweet, sweet Friday. Made a little bit more bitter with the passing of Bordeaux Salming. And I, I think people are often taken aback at how sorrowful they feel about the passing of uh, somebody whose career they've appreciated, whether it's an artist or a sports person. But this one, all the more um, saddening when you consider that Salming was here, what, two weeks ago for this incredible celebration that moved people and broke hearts because you'll remember Daryl Sittler Uh, I mean, he was unable because of his ALS to even raise his hand to acknowledge the crowd. His face had this sag to it. And yet there he was, you know, being celebrated and triumphant in a magnificent career. And I always say more so than, than a lot of other careers in sports, obviously you do everything when you're young and then, you know, you get the creaky knees and, uh, age sets in and you have to go find something else. But that's when, you know, your true character comes to evidence. It's why Jean Beliveau is one of the great all-time heroes of my life because Jean Beliveau was a magnificent hockey player, but good grief, the life he led after as an ambassador for hockey, as the guy who turned down the position of Governor General of Canada twice because he wanted to tend to his wife as a guy who we would have these, um, you know, skating tournaments or skate-a-thons to raise money for hockey, and Jean Beliveau would turn up, and I would just think, oh, my God, that is Jean Beliveau, and he's come to skate with us? This is amazing. And um, Borja Salming just demonstrated tremendous character, and I think a lot of people are also very taken aback by how rapid his decline was. I mean, he was diagnosed in August with ALS, which is something that often takes several years to set in. My friend Tony Proudfoot suffered from ALS for three years before uh, passing away. But uh, Daryl Sittler, as I mentioned, raised his hand in order to salute the crowd and paid tribute to his old friend and teammate in an interview with CTV. When he was here, he was hurting. It wasn't an easy time for him, but he, he put on a brave face. He wanted this to happen. It happened, and that was him as a player. Um, he didn't let those obstacles get in his way. He was determined and wanted something. It tells you about the testament of fortitude of the man himself. 
Um, I have to say there's a lot of uh, interesting conspiracy theories this morning about a photograph of uh, Salming along with Daryl Sittler and a couple of other players. Lanny McDonald is there. But it was he went to one final visit at what used to be, uh, you know, the Temple of Hockey in Toronto. But if you look at the photograph closely, I don't know if they were shooting a movie or something, but there are like four cars visible and they all date from like 1970, 1972. So people already were, what's going on here? Why, what is this, you know, green screened? And no, I imagine it was probably a movie set or something like that. Because the chances that three vintage cars appear all in the same photograph are nil. So, but still, uh, it's a picture and uh, Salming is in a wheelchair with a blanket over his legs and he's surrounded by some of his favorite people. And it's just nice to know that somebody can enjoy a tribute like that, um, you know, so shortly before they, uh, they pass away. Uh, other issues of this morning to discuss. Uh, today is going to be the culmination of the inquiry into the Declaration of the Emergencies Act. And I would imagine some people are going to watch live as Justin Trudeau is questioned. Yesterday, Christia Freeland was on, well, I keep saying on the stand. There is no stand. I mean, you sit at a table with a couple of computer monitors and you are questioned, sometimes with a degree of hostility, I must say, uh, by lawyers because there are all kinds of stakeholders in all of this. And sometimes it's the convoy lawyer who's doing the questioning, who's trying to prove that the, all of those people were oppressed under the jackboot of fascist, fascist oppression. Um, so Christia Freeland yesterday testifying, and Marika Walsh from the Globe and Mail is going to join us later on on the show to offer her account of what she observed yesterday. But Freeland offered some fairly compelling testimony about the business and economic reasons as to why the cabinet declared the Emergencies Act. And again, bear in mind, the judge may say, you know what, in spite of all kinds of compelling evidence as to why this protest had to end, the judge may still say, yeah, but the Emergencies Act was too blunt an instrument. But Christia Freeland yesterday saying that she had heard from people in the US and several bank presidents in Canada that Canada was becoming a joke and that the U.S. was starting to regard Canada as such a joke that they would no longer be interested in investing in Canada. As one chief executive unnamed said in comments to, remember always she's the deputy prime minister but also the finance minister, I won't invest another red cent in your banana republic in Canada. An interesting takeaway as well from testimony from Christia Freeland yesterday would be the degree of sort of casual interface between bank CEOs and the finance minister. I don't know if that's a regular thing. I guess we can ask Scott Reed when he joins us at 6.20 this morning. Um, but it just seems that a whole bunch of bank CEOs were picking up phones and calling the finance minister and saying, yo, you got to fix this and you got to fix it fast. Uh, back to uh, sports for a moment. And the Argos yesterday were celebrated in the city of Toronto, which is a wonderful thing. And, uh, well, let's listen in. Nick Marano. And I, on behalf of the mayor and representing city council, officially, Mr. Tannenbaum, a proclamation of today, November the 24th, 2022, Double Blue Day! 
here in Toronto, sir. It's double blue day. It's double blue season. Woo! <laughs> okay. Um, you know what? It's just, it's, it's nice to have very positive things to celebrate in our city and in our lives. So uh, Double Blue Day proclaimed yesterday. Everybody was urged to wear two shades of blue in honor of the Argonauts. And we move on from the Argonauts having won last Sunday and being celebrated yesterday to Canada's uh, men's soccer team taking on Croatia this weekend. So lots of diversions from the inquiry, from the latest numbers on COVID, which actually are quite good. We'll get to that in just a moment when we talk to our friends on CP24. All right, it is time for What Toronto is Talking About. We're joined live now with John Moore from News Talk 1010. John, great to see you again. How are you? Nice to see you. I'm happy it's a Friday, Jennifer. <laughs> Same here. It's been a long week. I'm on a sixth day. All right, let's get started. Uh, some pretty sad news. Toronto Maple Leafs legend Borja Salming has died at the age of 71. Yeah, and I think possibly a lot of Torontonians are very surprised to feel the profoundness of their sadness at his passing. I mean, it was only two weeks ago, Jennifer, that he was here. He was celebrated, which is a, a bittersweet affair. Um, but yeah, passing away, and in, in so many ways, a legendary player. He's immortalized in one of the statues outside of the Scotiabank Arena, but one of the very, very first Europeans to be brought over and put into the NHL. And... Just, you know, being so soon after this incredible celebration where we saw that he had to have his hand raised mm -hmm. into the air by Daryl Sittler because he was so uh, badly damaged by ALS. And so, yeah, a lot of people feeling a great deal of sadness on a Friday morning. A horrible disease. And, you know, it says something about him that he was mm -hmm. the only non-Canadian to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame here. So rest in peace. All right, and turning to this now, I thought this was behind us, but apparently Freedom Convoy 2.0, that is now being planned for February 2023. Going to be interesting to see how this unfolds because James Bowder, one of the organizers of the original convoy protest, is insisting there's going to be a Freedom Convoy 2.0, as he's calling it. This will take place February 17th to 21. The reason why I put some uh, question marks around this, he's actually, as a condition of his release on bail pending trial, forbidden from coming back to the Capitol. So maybe this event will happen, but I don't think that he is going to be able to be there. And then you get into questions of how, obviously, this time, when the nation's capital is ready for a protest like this, they're not going to be able to pull into town and take over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so maybe Bowder is going to be kind of controlling it like a puppet master. Uh, and John, staying with the Freedom Convoy, we know that Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Christian Freeland te testified yesterday at the commission. What did we learn from that? Well, she is the finance minister, as you said, and as such, she said she was hearing from CEOs of Canadian banks who were saying that business was being paralyzed. She was also hearing from Americans who were telling her that Canada was on the verge of becoming a banana republic, so Americans wouldn't be interested in investing in Canada anymore. That doesn't necessarily backstop the government's declaration of the Emergencies Act, but it certainly informs what Cabinet was dealing with, which was that there was such economic peril that if they didn't act and they didn't end the protests, that business was going to end up being damaged. And of course, today, Jennifer, Justin Trudeau is going to be testifying. So that's kind of the, the big Broadway-style wind-up. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the climax of it all. Uh, okay, and John, turning to this now, some healthy news. There's data that points to COVID-19 activity being lower, a reduction in it. But now we know that flu and RSV, they are rising and surging. They are, but uh, probably you and I do the same thing every day. Check the dashboard before we start our shows. And the dashboard is actually improving for the province of Ontario vis-a-vis -vis COVID. But you're absolutely right. Then we get to you know, the respiratory illness and the conventional flu. Uh, but still, it's down 16% from this time last week when we come to hospitalizations as a result of COVID. So that's good news. Yeah, that is good news, but it just seems in this healthcare battle, we, we can't have our cake and eat it too. Mm. Okay, and uh, turning to this, John, I'm sure many people are excited for the weekend, but new data shows November is actually busier for shopping than December will be. I think most of us remember what Boxing Day was like when we were kids and everybody would line up outside of a record store. Nowadays, those sales start well ahead of time. We have Black Friday, which was a tradition in the United States, still is obviously, but Canadians have adopted it. And now, you're absolutely right, November has become the busiest shopping month of the year. I was reading a piece yesterday that was actually saying that you can get some pretty amazing deals. I mean, the Hudson's Bay Company, they're already offering through online purchases 50% off on some items. So, you know, getting ready for Christmas in spite of inflation and the cost of living right now, you may be able to make some pretty good deals on this Black Friday. Yeah, I'm sure the malls are going to be packed, if not already. John Moore from yeah. Newstalk 1010. You can catch him live every morning from 5.07 a.m. to 9 a.m. Thanks so much, John. Have a great weekend. <laughs> 5.24 is the time, and that's our morning shared brief with our friends over at CP24 which I'll hear from people. They'll say, I was watching you this morning. It's like, wow, really? What are you, an insomniac? But then again, if you're listening right now, then maybe you're not an insomniac. You might even be in the car on your way to wherever it is you're going. Or I know that a lot of people like to wake up early in the morning and try and get a jump on the day before all of the chaos, before the dog wakes up, before the kids start asking for breakfast, all of that stuff. So, um, yeah, we, we test really well, apparently, with people on treadmills as well. The fact that there's going to be another convoy protest, I think, is an interesting headline this morning. And I look forward to hearing from our commentators as the day moves on. Because any way you slice it, when it comes to the inquiry into the Declaration of the Emergencies Act, I still suspect the judge will say what most Canadians I think, agree on, which is the protests had to end, but the Emergencies Act was unnecessary. Still, we come back to the fact that the protests had to end. I, I've been pretty categorical about this. I really, I have almost no time for anybody who wants to argue that there was some sort of special valor to these protests. This was not, you know, ship workers rebelling in uh, Poland. Uh, this was not people occupying uh, lunch stands in the American South on behalf of African Americans. This was a whole bunch of people who had some pretty cockamamie ideas about vaccines and Justin Trudeau being a brutal dictator who paralyzed the nation's capital and several border crossings for three weeks. It had to end. And the fact that it's going to come back, even in the potential, is irksome to say the least. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.37 on a Friday morning. Doesn't it feel good? 
It's a sweet, sweet Friday. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, actually, I haven't looked at the extended forecast for the weekend yet, so I have no predictions about what kind of plans we can make. I guess I could do that right now. Um, it's going to rain Sunday. It's going to rain on Sunday. Okay, sunny tomorrow, windy, nine periods of rain, high seven Sunday. Okay, so that's not such a great weekend. That's okay. I got stuff to catch up on on, on Netflix. And, um, and actually, I don't know why I agreed to this, but I'm doing an appearance. I'll give you more details later on if, if this motivates you, but I think it's for a very specific audience. Uh, Tasha Kiridan, who I've always said, the, 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 I have two Punch and Judy shows that I do with um, conservative women. One is Barbara Kay, who, if I can out her son for a moment, uh, Jonathan Kay used to be the opinion ed editor at the National Post back when I was a columnist at the National Post. And he would actually send me his mother's columns ahead of time and just say, knock yourself out, say what you want to say, because he loved conflict. And Barbara and I have this hilarious relationship, and we have. You've heard interviews with her on the show on many occasions. We disagree about everything, but we absolutely love each other. Ditto with Tasha Kiridan who I used to appear with a lot on television and I make public appearances with because people seem to think that we're kind of fun together. So tomorrow at this strange military institute on university next to the American embassy, uh, I was asked yesterday if I'd make an appearance to talk about municipal politics. And the funny thing is the audience is conservatives who are convened as a matter of routine in order to kind of fill them full of ideas as to how they can beat up on liberals. So, you know, I mean, I guess I, I am, I, my policies may be liberal. I don't litigate for any one policy, you know, uh, um, government. I am fine with Doug Ford as my premier. I was fine with Stephen Harper as my prime minister. But I do feel like maybe I've been convened to go into the locker room with the Toronto Maple Leafs and tell them, you know, how to beat the Canadians. But anyway, so that's that's my weekend, Nick Marano. I don't know if that's intriguing or exciting at all. Um, I'm busy tomorrow. Sorry, John, but you can tell us all about it on Monday. I know. I mean, these are the kind of things that some people are, really? 1.30 in the afternoon on a Saturday? You want me to sit in a room and listen to people, and Mark Tui's a part of this, and listen to people talk about municipal politics? Like, I'd rather eat broken glass. One of the things we're going to talk about this morning, and I have no idea what she's going to bring to the table, but Maureen Holloway is here on Fridays at 6.50, and, you know, she and I go back and forth on Thursday to talk about what we might talk about together. And I told her about being at the scene just moments after a cyclist was run over at Young and St. Clair yesterday. And so the question I asked her was, have you ever seen something awful? And like I said, I don't know what she is going to bring to that discussion. Being in the media, you often do. Um, I will certainly never forget, for example... Uh, I was on the scene of a guy who had been stabbed and like seconds after he was stabbed, this guy is staggering toward me, clutching his torso, blood running down um, across his uh, hips and down into his leg. I saw that. Um, another horrible thing is Montreal. I don't know. Maybe you can maybe correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I don't think Toronto ever had media outlets like they did in Montreal that used to deal with the most grotesque aspects of crime and policing. And so they would just, they would cover every murder, every mob hit, every fatal fire. 
And what they had was a deal with an awful lot of police officers where they would arrive on the scene and press a $20 bill into a police officer's hand and the police officer would give them access to things. You know, they'd pull back the tarpaulin uh, over a, a body. Or in the case of a fatal fire I was covering as a reporter, they brought a body bag out of the building and I saw the reporter go over to the police officer and give him money and they unzipped the the mortuary bag so that this person could take a picture. So those are amongst the most horrible things I have seen. And then there is this terrible collision that happened uh, two days ago, happened around 4.30 on Wednesday. And now we know a little bit more. Uh, the victim was a 20-year-old from India, an international studio named a student uh, named Kartik Saini. Now, I would still have to see a schematic map to understand how this unfolded. As you might imagine, I'm pretty familiar with this intersection. It's a block away from where I live, Young and St. Clair, because we're told that the cyclist was heading east and the motorist was turning right off of St. Clair onto Young. Now, if the cyclist was heading east, you would presume that they would have been on the south lane and not in the pathway of a car turning from, you know, uh, westbound to northbound. But again, we, we still, we don't know the details, except that he was struck. He ended up under the vehicle. He ended up being dragged in spite of the fact that people were chasing after the vehicle, pounding on it and shouting that there was a person pinned underneath. And I, I can certainly attest to the fact that the intersection is, is a dangerous one because you've got streetcars, you've got cars, you've got people turning, you've got the, um, the deal where on St. Clair at some intersections you're allowed to make a U-turn. There's a delayed advanced green, you know, on and on and on it goes. It's in, unless you're familiar with that intersection, it's, it's a chaotic affair. So Justin Trudeau is going to be testifying today at the inquiry into the Declaration of the Emergencies Act. That starts at 9.30. Donnie Coulter, our friend who produces Jerry Agar, says they're going to take it live off the top. I would imagine that the Prime Minister will probably begin this with a prepared statement, and then he'll give to questioning. But, I mean, this really is... If you wanted to plot this inquiry as a show you would have plotted it precisely this way. I mean, this week, each person, it's like a Spanish bullfight, each person testifying is more compelling, intriguing, and important than the previous one. So yesterday we had the finance minister, and today we have the prime minister. Here's a clip, though, from the deputy prime minister and the finance minister, Christia Freeland, where she was asked about whether or not they ever thought that they should negotiate with the protesters. You say, I am very resolute in ending this occupation of our democracy, but I will never support negotiating with those who held our democracy hostage. No good thing comes of that. Can you explain that comment? You will never, never uh, sanction or never support negotiating with those who hold our democracy hostage. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. I don't think it's healthy for a democracy, for any democracy, for policy to be made at gunpoint, if you will. And that really also devalues the views and the contributions 
of all Canadians who express their political views and their political preferences in different ways, for example, by voting. I love how that ends because I have harped on this ever since those protests happened. If you want to change the government, if you want to change your country, then go door knocking, print pamphlets, make calls, vote. But the idea that somebody who sat in a truck honking their horn outside of the parliament buildings was empowered enough that the prime minister should come from his office and sit and and go one-on-one -on -one with them was always outrageous. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. One last aspect of testimony given yesterday at the inquiry into the Declaration of the Emergencies Act. And I love that this thing is actually wrapping up on time. Often you convene a hearing like this and it goes on forever and the report comes back after three years when nobody even remembers what it was about. Uh, but this judge has been fairly quick in executing these hearings and it wraps up today with the Prime Minister, 9.30, live on the Jerry Agar show. And then the judge will go away and spend his Christmas vacation coming up with a report that should be out sometime around the anniversary of the Declaration of the Emergencies Act. Uh, yesterday, there was a bit of back and forth about uh, Candace Bergen, who was the interim leader of the federal conservatives. And it seems that she, like some people on this record, was trying to have it both ways. Because the Prime Minister's office, uh, people testifying on behalf of the Prime Minister's office yesterday, were saying that Candace Bergen told the PM there would be significant concerns to consider if he were to meet with convoy participants. So she was effectively on the same page as Christia Freeland. Yeah, I don't think it's a good idea that you go and negotiate with people who are occupying the nation's capital. However... Candace Bergen also sent emails to conservative MPs where she said that what they should try to do is make this the prime minister's problem and, quote, I don't think we should be asking them to go home. So, you know, it's a, it's a bit like uh, where we find Pierre Polyev, where, you know, he was marching with uh, some people who were not exactly of uh, great repute. Uh, where he was uh, meeting with protesters and offering them coffee and yet doesn't seem to want to have to wear the fact that the protests didn't turn out to be a particularly positive affair. Uh, one last aspect in all of this, we've been talking a lot about this lawyer this week who is paid to appear on behalf of the convoy uh, truckers. And he had a pretty ridiculous day yesterday. He thought that he saw in the hearing room one of the people who he accuses of running a false flag operation to discredit the convoy protesters. There is this conspiracy theory that if any, well, they were, I mean, they were photographed. So if you saw a Nazi flag or a Confederate flag, that the federal liberals had actually paid a Toronto marketing and PR company to get people to pose as convoy protesters and to appear in Ottawa at the protests with those flags in order to, um, you know, to, create a shameful uh, situation. So yesterday, this lawyer thinks he spots one of those people in the room, chases him outside into the corridor, 
and then eventually discovers that it's not actually the person who he's already falsely accusing of something. I mean, we have audio of that, Nick, although it's pretty, uh, it's kind of hard to hear what's going on, but let's listen in for you a second. Can testify? I can, I can get the commissioner to organize it. Would you agree to me? Yeah. Okay. What's my name? Talk to you later. Um, I, just, I was wondering if you'd like to testify. There you go. So actually, you can you can hear at one point. He says, "I can I can bring you in. You can we can swear you in. You can testify." And the guy says, "What's my name?" That is, I mean, for I know that a lot of people get really upset when I uh, crap on the convoy protesters because there's an interesting sort of um, divergence of things, which is that most Canadians were sympathetic to their exhaustion with things like vaccine mandates and having to show paperwork in order to go to the gym and having to show a piece of paper to get on a plane or get into a restaurant. Most Canadians were sick and tired of that. But several cycles of polls over many, many months have also established that Canadians did not support the actual protest. They didn't support the idea of people parking trucks for three weeks in downtown Ottawa, shutting down the, um, you know, the Rideau Mall, making it impossible. There are actually people who couldn't get to their chemotherapy because of those protests. So there is a split in some degree of sympathy for the motives of the protest, but no amount of support for the actual protests. So we'll see where, you know, the judge lands. And I know there are already people who are going to undermine whatever the judge. I, I think it's hilarious. It's a bit like uh, Republicans and voting results. You know, if you elect a Republican, the system's great. If you elect a Democrat, the system's corrupt. So if the judge actually comes out and says that Justin Trudeau and company were within uh, reason in declaring the Emergencies Act, people are going to say, ah, he's a liberal stooge. And if he decides to say that I think this was overreach, everybody's going to say he's the most sagacious uh, gift to Canada in the history of the judiciary. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.